Hello, my name is Julia Butler and welcome to Resilience. On July the 3rd, 2019, after months of tests and specialist visits, I received a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. This was not the first major health challenge I had faced. However, this diagnosis changed the path I had mapped out for myself for 2019 and beyond. As a trauma counsellor, I was well aware that the size of a challenge is not proportionate to a person's ability to cope with it. With the help of my friend Charles, this podcast series has been created partly for me to strengthen my own resilience through exploring different ways that resilience is embodied and to also express myself creatively as I traverse the MS landscape. In this series, I want to explore how people see resilience and how it manifests in them. I will be asking people what sustains them through difficult times in their lives and what they do in order to strengthen their resilience. You will also hear through this podcast how important a supportive and connected community is to each of us. On this episode of Resilience, I chat with a couple of high school friends, Sarah and Stevie. I remember doing the barn dance with Stevie in sport in the Perth Modern School gym in year eight. <laughs> like a lot of young people, we went our separate ways after leaving school and have since reconnected. I was a little surprised by the importance spirituality now plays in both their lives. In the near-death experience, my, my mind was open to um, a level of reality that was new and it, it gave rise to a longing. So sit back and listen as three graduates of Perth Modern High School talk about the old days and coping with the challenges faced since. Hello, Stevie and Sarah. How are you? I'm very well, Julia. Very good, thanks. It's great to be here with you guys from our long, dim, distant past. <laughs> yeah. So Stevie and Sarah, we all met at high school and I worked, worked at, it's 1977. 97 years ago. <laughs> and I thought we should probably describe the school that we went to. And Stevie, you did a very good description of it on your website. So how do you feel about just describing Perth Modern High School? So it, it was quite a historic school in Perth. It was a um, the scholarship school for many years and then it became a, a just a normal high school. Yeah. But sometime in the 70s they developed a music scholarship program so the three of us were all uh, the musos at school mm. and um, yeah it was kind of a, a bonding experience for us because we were a little bit like the outsiders in the school but yeah I remember it as being very bonding with you guys. Oh yeah and we were the outsiders but also we were the insiders in our own little group weren't we? Yes. I remember doing the barn dance with Stevie in um, sport in the Perth Modern School gym in year eight. <laughs> and he was so bold and came up and asked me to dance. I couldn't believe it. I was just like so taken aback. And Julia, I remember sitting on my bed with you um, mm. listening to Kate, Kate Bush in my house. Yeah, that's my enduring memory of, of you and of, of us. And just every song and we had actions for them and we would break into, you know, two-part harmony and, um, yeah, it was lovely. So, look, the reason I wanted to talk to the both of you, and I might be wrong, but it seems to me that both of you 
have developed that spiritual side of yourself to a greater extent than I have. And I just wanted to know a bit more about that. So in talking about resilience, which this podcast series is about, you know, I think there are various ways that we can build ourselves up or, you know, keep ourselves a bit more buoyant. And spirituality is obviously one of those. Yeah, I just wanted to talk to both of you about how that came to be as part of your lives. Wow, that's such a big question, isn't it? It's a huge question. I think for me, I I, um, have always been a spiritual person. I think traditionally and conventionally I grew up in a quite a religious sort of household so and went to a church school I think before I went to mod and mm. always sang and and my pet my mother particularly was was fairly religious and her parents and her parents and etc etc so that you know and we always you know listened we went to church I think and on Sundays and we you know we did the whole sort of you know, smells and bells, high Anglican thing. And, mm. and your music was always really a part of that, I think. So it was always there, really. And that sort of set the sort of tone of how things were in my family. Not that it was particularly right wing or anything in terms of being fundamentalist. It was fairly liberal in lots of ways. But there was always that sort of spirituality and that sort of very strong sort of base there and foundation. And to sort of put it in a in, in a really brief sort of summation for you. I think what happened then was that when I went to, eventually got to uni after doing some other things, I um, I, I did social work and and social work, you know, as you would know, Julia is, you know, is, is such a sort of a, mm. <laughs> what's the word, altruistic sort of a, you know, the thing. Um, can be. <laughs> it's a can be. <laughs> and implicit in all that was that sort of inherent sort of, wanting to assist and support and help and give back in some sort of way. So I think that's how it developed for me. And so all through, you know, my years at uni and my early days as in undergrad work and stuff, I sort of diverted a little way away from the sort of traditional sort of religious way, but still mm. um, associated with people who were quite deeply spiritual, was always very attracted to people who had spiritual elements about them, whatever that meant. Not that I was ever particularly judgmental about them. That was very open mm-hmm. and very accepting of different ways of thinking and, and, and believing and feeling about things. And I sort of came into Buddhism, um, oh, it must be a good decade ago now, but that sort of evolved from that. And so it was a sort of a an introduction and I started doing some of my own research and my own travel and... Yeah and some other sort of networks and pathways into that and develop that way. But spirituality is, is, is a really fundamental part of my being. And it's, I, I can't imagine not having some sort of absolute, what's the word I'm looking for? Someone. Uh, absolute belief or foundation or. Foundation, I think of thinking and, and feeling and, and being in that space. And, and, and that's what attracts me to, living the life that I do and trying to live it as well as I I can, I suppose. And the same for the people that, that are in my sort of circle as well. I try and relate to people on the same sort of level with the same sort of interest for that reason because it sustains me and it keeps me going. And yeah. To answer your question very, very quickly, it's spirituality has always been a really fundamental aspect of my life. Um, it's gone through many sort of permutations and had the lives of its own and various sort of 
iterations throughout my life to date, but it's always been there, mm. a little bit like music in a way. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. We were the high church Anglican as well. But um, I remember being about, I don't know, 14, 15, and going through a very religious stage. I don't think it lasted that long, but I remember being at school. I, I was going to two other churches as well as my church every week. And then I remember running around trying to convert people at lunchtime. I just went through about a month of doing that and then I gave up. Do you remember that? I do. You do? Okay, that's good. <laughs> I do remember that. How bizarre. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, you know, everything's sort of, you know, contextual. That That's just what happened at the particular time. I mean, it is what it is and that was your experience and stuff. But I do remember that. Mm. And I remember you in those early years of high school, so I would say around sort of eight, nine, that you did do that because I remember you telling me that you went to church or you, and you went with your family or your family went. Yeah, always, yep. And Stevie, I know a little bit about you coming to religion, but I'd love to hear just, you know, a, a bit of your story. Uh, wouldn't use the word religion. Mm. I also had Anglican parents who would be, let's say, holiday Christians, as in Christmas and Easter. Yeah. So. When I was 12, I really felt that going to church was hypocritical because what I was hearing preached wasn't sort of what I was seeing in the behavior of the people that were preaching it. And oh, yeah. So I, uh, I had a very dramatic departure from the church when I was 12. I ran away from home to avoid going to church at Christmas. Wow. <laughs> it was very controversial. My family were horrified. And I really had no connection with spirituality um, until the year I turned 40. Mm. I was just living my materialistic life, uh, doing my own thing. And at the year I turned 40, I had a what I would call a true existential crisis of um, really meaninglessness and deep despair uh, to the point of considering suicide. And in the midst of that, I had uh, a couple of profound experiences, which one of which was a near-death experience, and yeah. really that opened my eyes to a realm of reality which I hadn't thought about before, which is what I would call the spiritual realm, and um, I started a search for meaning which was lacking in my life, and uh, so that that search led me to some spiritual teachers and a tradition of self-inquiry mm. that I um, now work in. And um, really it's shifted my view on life and it's certainly changed my view on uh, what I would refer to as resilience too. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on the near-death experience that you had. Mm. Sure. So the year I turned 40, as I mentioned, I really was in a very deep depression and feeling this existential despair. And a fire started up in my house, uh, the house where I was living. And so the upstairs of my house caught fire and we didn't know it was happening until a neighbor knocked on the door. And so I ran up the stairs to mm. see what was going on. And as I was looking at this drama from the stairwell, the skylights in the ceiling of the upstairs bedroom blew out and wow. the, whole, the whole room 
burst into flame. And so this wall of flame kind of came towards me and I ducked down and huddled into the stairwell and the flames kind of went down the stairwell around me. And in the middle of that, my mind was so overwhelmed that it stopped completely. So I don't know how long this lasted for, but uh, I disappeared, the world disappeared, the fire disappeared, everything disappeared. And there was just this deep sense of peace and this radiant light of consciousness. And I knew in that moment that that was the truth of who I am um, beyond the mind and beyond the form. And I had no context for that. So it created some, you know, search in my mind for like, what the hell just happened to me? Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so that sort of created this search through spiritual traditions, which really talk about really at the core is really discovering who we are, who I am. And this teacher was happened to be in Sydney a, a few weeks later. And so I met with her and she sort of confirmed that, the, you know, it was just an experience of no mind. And that really shifted everything for me. So it wasn't really a near-death experience like might happen in a hospital bed, but it was a, a moment where my mind stopped. So that mm. was the nature. It strikes me it's like it, it, it's an incredible gift. Absolutely. The most profound, precious experience of my life. So, yes, incredibly grateful for it, actually. It's shifted everything. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking um, when Stevie was talking about that, he was, he was you know, he was very, very depressed. And then uh, it, it sounds like that perhaps he, he may have been stuck in that depression or been in that depression for a period of time and he was searching for, you know, for, for stuff. And then all of a sudden there's this horrendous fire that sort of like lurches him from literally from, you know, one thing to the next and, and provides this incredible sort of opportunity it's like sometimes, you know, life throws you this thing and it's, I, I'm just thinking of, of, of um, uh, what happened in my life. There was an incident where I worked and worked and worked to the point where I absolutely wore myself out. I was absolutely exhausted and just did not stop. And then I had a terrible accident and ruptured both of my ACLs. Oh. So it stopped me in my tracks and I couldn't walk. Oh. I didn't have an option. I couldn't walk. I had to sit. I had to stop. And I had to sit. And I just, yeah, I was just thinking that sometimes this is what happens in life. We're, we're in a position that we find ourselves in and that, that there is no way out. And we want to end the suffering. The suffering is unbearable. We don't know how to end the suffering. And then all of a sudden, bang, you're given an opportunity. And mm. um, and, and it turn, turns our lives on our heads. And if we're really fortunate, you know, these wonderful teachers come in when we need them to teach us all sorts of stuff. And... Mm, mm. Um, Stevie, maybe tell me a little bit more about those steps that you took towards where you are spiritually now. Mm. So in the near-death experience, my, my mind was open to um, a level of reality that um, was new and it, it gave rise to a longing uh, to know the truth and longing to know who I am really is probably the best words to put it. Mm. And there's a lot of traditions out there in the spiritual realm and really all religions are founded in the same principle, which is, you know, the truth of oneness, if you like, of we could say God or love. 
so I sort of did this quite frantic search through all the religions, all the, mm. the esoteric versions of the different religions, and there was just this imperative to, to know what is this truth. Mm. And eventually a teacher that resonated with me came into my life. She's an American woman named Gangaji, not associated with any religion. She just has reflected back to me that really the truth that I was looking for was inside of me, myself, rather than on the outside. And so it was in the beginning, there was a certain amount of meditation involved, but really it was more of a deeper listening and discovering of something fundamental within myself that really is how I discovered happiness. So I guess you'd say it's a search for happiness more than anything. Mm. Yeah. And imagine a sense of peace, you know, uh, inner peace. Would that be right? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, Sarah, what about you? What got you to Buddhism? I think Stevie is absolutely right. I think they're all one and the same, really. That You know, whatever you believe in, there are many pathways to God or, or pathways to where people are heading, I suppose. But I think the issue that that resonates with me most is, is is the stuff around the search within. So I was very interested in learning what that meant as well and what it took rather than looking at things that are extrinsic to that and external to that. And mm. so instead of, you know, looking at things that, that, that are momentary or that, that, that you, that, that pass, that, that go as um, anchors to keep you happy or to give you meaning in some way, I read in theory all the stuff, so I knew in theory what it was about. Like, yes, you've got to sit with yourself and sit with the discomfort to to find yourself and everything you need is actually internal and you've just got to do it and it'll happen. Mm. I like to call it the warrior path because that's exactly what it is. It's You're walking a path and you are a bit of a warrior because the path is never straight. The path sort of twists and turns and goes up hills and downhills and suddenly stops and then does something else completely out of the blue. And it's about how you equip yourself to walk on that path um, mm. each moment and be fully present in each moment to walk, walk along that path. And so Buddhism taught me that, basically. So there are aspects of certain forms of Buddhism that don't resonate really well with me because I think that they're very traditional and and that that in some instances you know i uh, i I don't feel particularly at ease with some of the some of the um the foundations but i think the teachings that a lot of the teachings are very beautiful and the stuff around the eightfold path and a lot of the meditations i think are really are really wonderful and have been very helpful to me but at the end of the day what they really teach you is to sit with yourself. Mm. And that is the hardest thing I think anyone can ever do. And I think that's that's it. If you can learn and continue to master, if you like, how to do that better with meaning, that that's sort of sort of where it's at, really. And it doesn't mean that it's it's comfortable at all at all times. It's it's not. It's extremely hard. Yeah. Because I think as human human beings, we tend to sort of not want to sit. We want to divert ourselves and grasp and cling and attach to stuff that's momentary and changes and you know it's yeah. different from tomorrow as it was yesterday. So the the challenge there for us is to sit as we are with what we have in this particular moment, in yeah. all its discomfort and all its comfort and joy. 
and other yeah. times it doesn't have to be a miserable experience. <laughs> so Buddhism for me, to answer your question, Julia, has, has taught me that. It started me on that path of being able to do that. Mm. Uh, and with, with, with a degree of gratitude, everything is relative. So, you know, to, to be grateful for what you have in the moment. Uh, I think that's, that's just one of the most crucial things to learn. But certainly as a counsellor that has seen people following trauma, um, whether it's simple trauma or that more long-term, it's certainly one of the, the main things that we do is learn how to just sit with any feeling, whether it's a, a good feeling or an excited feeling or a distressed feeling. It's, it, it, all, all of those are upsetting. I think sometimes we can't even identify the feeling. That's right. We can't identify whether it feels good or whether it feels bad. That's why, you know, supplementary, you know, techniques and things like yoga are really good because you just sit with the discomfort. You sit with the physical discomfort. You might not be able to name it Mm. or make the connection mentally with what it means mentally or emotionally or psychologically, but you just sit with it and you feel it. Yeah. You open yourselves up to feel it. Yeah. Learning that, I think, is uh, incredibly difficult. I think that's actually, as you you were saying, it's actually what life's all about is sitting with whatever's going to come at you, being, being able to adapt and adjust. And then, of course, you know, that I think that's a real indicator of how resilient you are or, or, or are not. Or how vulnerable you are. <laughs> or how vulnerable, exactly. And I imagine, Steve, you'd agree with that too. Yeah, I was really enjoying listening to your first podcast with your uh, friends that you work with in the trauma counselling. And yeah. they, they had such beautiful really practical descriptions of how resilience can be supported with social networks and with time and with uh, time off and supervision and Mm. taking time in nature and really practical and beautiful um, suggestions and they're all very useful and then the, the piece that I would sort of add that I've discovered through the spiritual path is that there's a state of being where the mind the mind is quiet yeah where it's really only identification with the mind and the thoughts and the the dramas and the stresses which is natural we all do that of course but there is a quietness within that is really like a place of rest like a the source of nourishment almost which is really um for me discovered when the mind is quiet so it again initially discovered through meditation but really becomes a way of living so within that resting of the mind and opening of the mind there's there's actually in my experience a deep connection to the source of love and the source of power and the source of strength and that in itself that that provides resilience in my experience for the body um, because there's a natural taking care of the body and the beauty in that discovery of this inner resource of of the power of love and peace is that it naturally overflows out into the world and so in the past when I was sort of living more in my mind and in the the questioning and suffering of how to survive in the sort of rather crazy, stressful 
world as it is at the moment, it was a feeling of being lost and needing to sort of nurture my energy and my experience. But my discovery as I deepen into the the quietness of quiet mind is that there's a natural overflowing of life and to support others. And that's sort of how my life has transformed as a result of the spiritual path is um, I now sort of show up supporting others to discover those resources in themselves too. Mm. So it has a very different quality to the the practical sort of aspects of resilience, but they're not mutually exclusive. In fact, I think they're very, very synchronistically work together. So mm. I like what you said about gratitude, Sarah, just to go back. Gratitude something I've built into my life since my daughter was born and it is a daily thing for me. So maybe that means I'm actually getting a handle on spirituality more than I think I am. But um, I'm sure you guys probably know that when my daughter was born, they actually thought she would die and she was in intensive care for four weeks with this particular birth defect. But it was about three weeks before we got any firm word that she would survive her start in life. And from that moment on, it became a thing where, like, the world just changed for me almost overnight. And every night I saw the world as being something I was really grateful for and because her life was continuing and it was, you know, it hadn't stopped the way they were predicting and it's been something that's been really easy to do since that point and some people obviously teach you along the way and that you know they offer advice or they model ways of living that can help with that but it's been something I go back to so if something's feeling a bit overwhelming or a bit stressful I take a step back and I don't think about that I think about what are all the things I'm grateful for what are the things that are going well And it just shifts things so dramatically. And it's not about denial. It's just about seeing a far bigger picture. Is that how you'd describe it? First of all, I didn't know that about your daughter at all. That's Ah, um, that's amazing. What a challenging time that would have been. But I think, my goodness, what an amazing trigger for gratitude, I think. Mm. I was listening to what Stevie was saying around, you know, your natural self and coming to that place that's your natural still self and that and the most amazing thing about us is that we have the capacity to do that 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 is innate and and it's it's in ourselves we don't need to look outside to anybody else or to anything else to get that Mm. and you know I think that search for happiness that Stevie was talking about is all about that you know it's coming back to your natural self and to who you really are you know, your your true essence, if you like. Yeah. Being grateful is about placing yourself right in the moment, you know, I, I, and always instead of being on this path of, path of reaction all the time, making sure that instead of you, you instead of reacting to, to everything that goes on around you, that you try and pause and respond and that you take a much more sort of responsive view of things. And I think if you do that, and you 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 think that everything is relative and you remember that everything is relative and yeah you know the dalai lama has a 
has a saying every time he gets up in the morning and he, he talks about this precious life. He does this little four verse, little this precious life mantra thing. And one of the lines in it is, how fortunate I am to have woken up today. <laughs> Look, it's in a really easy thing to say, but it's such a powerful thing to say because we are so incredibly fortunate. We are so incredibly blessed. It's a real challenge sometimes because everybody has struggles and everybody has, and everything is very relative, but I, I think being grateful and there's always something to be grateful for, always. Yeah, yeah. And it might be the last thing people feel that they can do sometimes or they can be in the depths of despair or they can be in a certain situation where it's just unfathomable for them to be able to get their head around that. Yeah. But I think to, to assist people to do that and to support them to do that, I think, as you say, is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Because it, it puts you right back where you are and puts you in the great scheme of things. And in the great scheme of things, we're also incredibly fortunate to be here. Yeah. I love the natural description you give of gratitude arising spontaneously for you out of out of that sort of uh, challenging life situation with your daughter because it really points to the fact that our spiritual nature, we, we are creatures all humans have a an inherent nature we can call it spirit if you like that is this natural arising of love and gratitude and compassion and, and so it's not like we have to label ourselves as spiritual to be connected with these natural generous aspects of ourselves so mm. it's where these challenging moments in life such as that and in my case a near-death experience that they can really open up the possibility in, instead of sort of being caught up in the consumption and materialism and the next high and the next fix and the next safety or the next whatever it is that um, mm. tends to be the way that life unfolds for many humans. And so I love to hear the way that you describe this natural gratitude coming into your life through that. So really... yeah. That's the that's Thank you. medicine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the other bit that I didn't say about that was that I, I'd kept having this dream before I had Rosie and I was going to have a home birth <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I had a pool set up and, you know, living in the mountains and being a little bit of a hippie at that stage. But I kept having this dream that I was in a hospital um, and about to feed Rosie for the first time and a nurse was in uniform was handing her, her to me and I said in my dream I'm really worried this won't work and the nurse said it's fine everything's going to be all right when I woke up and I remember that dream I kept thinking that can't be prophetic at all because I'm going to have a home birth so there's not going to be any nurses around and of course that scene played out almost word for word when Rosie was about two weeks old in in the NICU. So part of it was that, you know, once I was in the hospital, I kept remembering that dream and the words, you know, everything's going to be all right. So it was this, felt like it had been, a, you know, something there that spoke to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, very easy to then feel very grateful. My observation is that by doing something like um, just recognising every day one thing that has been 
good or has worked well or is beautiful or however you see it, it's part of that rewiring of the brain that, uh, of course, I'm coming from that therapy point of view, but that's, you know, the more we do that, the more we notice things that are going well and it just makes life a whole lot easier, I think. It's also a really useful tool to ground yourself. So to link up what's with what Stevie was saying a little while ago. So I know that a lot of uh, people in, you know, therapists, clinical sites and whatever else will talk about those sorts of grounding strategies that you can do mm. when you're feeling particularly anxious or when you're feeling really down and depressed or hopeless or whatever it might be. You ground yourself by employing those sorts of techniques you come back to your senses so you yes. think and you you touch and you feel or whatever it might be and they bring you back to yourself to your hopefully to your natural state whatever it might be at that particular time in that natural state then you can think wow you know mm. it's okay it's mm. okay and I am incredibly grateful I'm here and it's going to be you know it's going to be okay yeah so those those grounding things are really really important I think and probably so much so at this point in time with um, the way the, the world is with a pan, living with a pandemic. Um, you know, it's very important to be able to do those things for ourselves. And, you know, you're linked to that comment that Stevie made a little while ago about, you know, the label of being spiritual and not being spiritual. That really resonates with me because I think there's this sort of inference that goes along with that, that if you're not spiritual, you're something lesser than someone who is and I don't agree with that I think you know the fact that you're able Julia to express such profound gratitude and have opportunities to do that you know as Stevie says that that's the great medicine Mm. so thank you Stephen and Sarah for talking to me today I really appreciate that and, and appreciate hearing your stories thank you Julia it's wonderful to talk with you and Stevie again Thank you, Julia. I love this podcast series on resilience. It's such a powerful topic that really is relevant for everyone. So it's been great to be a part of it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed hearing a few old friends catch up and discuss some really interesting things. That's all for now, but please join me on the next episode of Resilience. Resilience is an In Your Ears podcast, presented and produced by Julia Butler, produced and edited by Charles Amston, with music by Night Radio. For more information on this and other podcasts, check out the In Your Ears podcast's Facebook page. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and spread the word. Music